Chapter 24, now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This is the word of the Lord. My name is Nathan. I'm excited to open up uh, God's word for us this morning. Um, I'll just let you know a bit more about myself. I love a good movie, especially a good action movie, where we get to follow the hero on their mission, ride the highs and lows with them. Last year, I went and saw Top Gun Maverick with my father, uh, one of the great times uh, in the movie. And in the movie, there was a mission that needed to be completed. Captain Pete Mitchell was brought back in to train these new era of Top Gun pilots so that they could defeat the enemy and bring world peace or whatever it is that they were aiming for at that time. Uh, And so Captain Pete Mitchell set a fairly ambitious training course for them so that they could be ready for what was to be at hand. And the new Top Gun pilots, they weren't getting it all. Uh, They were either crashing, shot down by enemies, or just not doing it as fast as possible. Confidence was down. And to make matters worse, Captain Pete Mitchell was taken off the mission team. There was a new uh, meeting. The new captain was in there, and he set the new mission parameters. Confidence was down, and all seemed impossible. But in this meeting, over here, over the radio, we hear Maverick range control confirm green range. In true Maverick style, he didn't ask for permission. He just went out and did the mission. He didn't get the clearance needed. So he could prove that the mission was, in fact, successful. To give these young pilots the confidence they needed to take out the mission. And as he goes into the training range, the music begins to swell. We're riding every turn, every manoeuvre with Captain Pete Mitchell. I found the edge of my seat as this was going on. And in the theatre, you could hear a pin drop. 
We're all riding every moment. And the music started to build to its crescendo. The G-forces were climbing higher and higher. And then bullseye. The theatre was silent. I think at that moment we all took our breath again after this scene. I mean, it was a powerful scene. There was a mission that needed to be accomplished. Could it be done? Yes, it could. Clearly, I'm a man of culture who watches great movies. Um, But in this moment and in this uh, movie, we see that they captivate us, they grip us. People love to tell stories and people love to hear stories. Stories have been around since the dawn of time, since going out to the adventures of capturing their food or exploring new land. And they've been told and passed around by the campfire. And then they've been told and written on walls, written down, and eventually created into the next Netflix series. Stories have a way of sticking with us. And there's a reason why, and they lived happily ever after, is common in our fairy tales and our rom-coms. Stories have a great impact in us. They communicate information that can be impossible to ignore. You might currently be caught up in a really good book or TV series. You might not be caught up in a good book or TV series, but you want to know how it ends. Will the guy end up with the girl? Will their business survive? Will they make the state championship and win it? Is the treasure real? Or are they just walking further into the jungle for no gain? But there's more to stories than great plot lines. Stories are a great way of communicating lessons, passing on knowledge, and sometimes just for good entertainment. But stories can bring about a change to life. And stories can make us feel like we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. And I think that our world is turning more and more to storytelling. People like to hear stories. In the last few years, biopic movies have skyrocketed. The number of ads and news articles and news sites are giving space for stories to be told. Why? Well, I think people connect better with stories. And this is great news for the church. Stories have been welcomed in, and we have a story that is worth sharing. And today we're looking at one of the greatest stories ever told, Jesus' resurrection. And it is a story worth telling. And within this account of Jesus' resurrection in Luke's Gospel, we see the impact of telling stories and how useful they are to our evangelism. So if you have your Bibles there, we'll be in Luke 24, starting at verse 13. Now, on the same day, two of them are going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside them, but they were kept from recognising him. It's been a big couple of days in Jerusalem. Jewish people have come from all over to celebrate the Passover festival. And this will be a Passover that they would not forget. As Jesus was crucified, sent shockwaves through all of Jerusalem. There wasn't a person who did not know what was going on. And so these two disciples were walking home from Jerusalem, chatting about what was happening. Some maybe even debating what has happened over the past few days no doubt recounting every single event that led up to the moment, asking, why did Jesus die? Wasn't he meant to be our redeemer? Well, no doubt a confusing time as they're trying to wrap their heads around everything that has happened. And as they're discussing these things, a third travel companion joins them. 
As readers of the passage, we know that this is, in fact, the resurrected Jesus. But the disciples were kept from knowing this. Uh, God still had a bit more work to do in their hearts. And it's also the part of Luke's drama of writing this passage. Jesus joins in the conversation by asking them about these things. What were you discussing? And the reaction to Jesus' question is simple, but telling. In verse 17 it says, They stood still and their faces downcast. Their grief, obvious. This question had shattered them. It's like a wound had been reopened. That it renewed their sorrow. Cleopas, one of the disciples, said, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that happened in these last days? He can't believe it. You don't know what's going on? Are you kidding? Have you not been in Jerusalem these past couple of days? It was such public interest. It's like walking through Circular Quay on New Year's Eve after midnight and asking, what just happened? Everyone knows what has gone on. Jesus asks a question like this for them to articulate what it is that they know, to get their understanding on the situation. And in the words of Sam Chan, Jesus asks, tell me more. Tell me more. So the pair report back to Je- about Jesus of Nazareth. Look in verse 19. They say he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But we had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. What is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition... Some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but did not find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen vision of angels, who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. These two disciples had hoped that Jesus would redeem Israel and deliver them into a new era of freedom from the oppression of the Roman government. After all, Jesus was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. But he was sentenced to death. And to add to the puzzle, the tomb was empty. How, what is going on? Two angels said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. In a world of confusion. But they have some idea of what the scriptures were saying. But they did not fully grasp it. And in verse 25, Jesus responds with a rebuke. How foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Calling someone a fool in our ears seems a bit harsh. But we need to place ourselves in first century shoes. First century Jewish shoes. The rebuke is one of foolishness. Slow of heartedness to believe the scriptures. A fool, according to the Old Testament, and particularly in the Proverbs, is someone who does not let the Scriptures shape their life, inform how they live. Jesus said to the two disciples, if you truly believed all that the prophets had said, then you would know that the Messiah had to suffer to enter his glory. First century Jews did not anticipate a suffering Messiah. Jesus is saying, this is not the view of the Old Testament prophets. They had such an expectation. 
There are many passages in the Old Testament that point to a suffering Messiah. Two of the most clear ones are in Psalm 118, and probably more common to us is Isaiah 53, where it says a servant of the Lord would be familiar with pain, familiar with sorrows. Jesus' suffering would come first, and then he would enter his glory. And it is all there in the Old Testament. And so Jesus, beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, explained to them what was said in the all scriptures concerning himself. I mean, what I would have given to be a part of that Bible study, to be there at that moment. Jesus gave one of the most spectacular Bible studies ever, pulling up the Old Testament and showing how it all points to himself from start to end. He would have gone to passages like Deuteronomy 18, which said, out of this people will be a prophet. He will come and lead the people. Then flick over a few more pages into 2 Samuel 7, one of the greatest promises of the Old Testament. I will establish your throne forever, he says to David. One of your descendants will sit on it. A few more pages. Psalm 110 says, you'll sit at my right hand and your enemies will be a footstool. A few more pages. Isaiah 53. You're all like sheep going astray. All the iniquities have been laid on him and he will be our saviour. And then a few more pages in Micah chapter 5, we see that a saviour will be born in the town of Bethlehem. He will be a shepherd for his people. And there are so many more of the Old Testament that point to Jesus. And what a joy that would have been to see the scriptures opened in that way. So it is no wonder that these two disciples later commented in verse 32, were our hearts not burning within us as the scriptures were being opened? Jesus' Bible study gave such intense emotion and such excitement that our great comfort of the scriptures being opened is if Jesus had lit a fire underneath them. They are transformed by what Jesus had told them as he opened the scriptures in a brand new way. So these two disciples were hoping for a redeemer who would free them from the political tyranny of Rome. Well, Jesus showed them that he is, in fact, a redeemer, but of a more significance, one from death to life. He delivered them not from government, but from sin and death. Jesus heard what their hearts were yearning for, what their focus and saw the focus of their attention and showed how scriptures tell a better story, how the scriptures tell of God's plan. Jesus was able to enter into their conversation and bump them in the right direction, teaching them the truth of what the Bible has said. So there is something powerful about stories, especially when they point to Jesus. In the world we live in today, stories are becoming more and more prominent. As I said at the start, there are more biopics. We like to hear true stories. Ads have more stories in them. And as younger generations like my own, people want their stories to be told. And there are platforms available for that so people can declare their truth. And this is good news for us. There is a space to speak our stories into it and tell the better story. David said last week that there has been a shift in the way that we do evangelism. It used to be in the area of apologetics saying why we believe God is real or God and science or whatever it is 
that are defeated beliefs out there. And this was an effective way to do evangelism for a time. But not so much today. Debates that we see now on YouTube and on social media are about who's the loudest. Who can shoot other one, someone else down because they don't like their opinion. It feels like very little ground is won and it can be quite discouraging. Stories, on the other hand, have made a comeback. They're more personal. They have connection. And as far as I'm aware, more likely to be heard. And this is good news for us and good news for evangelism. No matter who your friends are or their circumstance, the Bible has a story about Jesus that will connect with them. And doesn't that take the pressure off a little bit? No more do you have to sit there and work out the perfect answer to your friend's questions. All you have to do is point people to Jesus. Point them to the scriptures. And this is what Jesus did when he, with the two disciples. He took them back to the scriptures. Let them speak for themselves. And this is a lesson that we can all can take. So I have three tools for us that are going to help us in our evangelism. And to help get stuck in your head and my head, I'm going to ask you to repeat this so I get stuck. So the first tip is to tell a better story. So say, tell a better story. All right, we'll get better as we go on. But tell a better story. Okay, good. When it comes to the Bible, we'll see that there is a story about Jesus that will speak into all situations. People are having spiritual conversations all around us, working out their places on hot topics. And there's a place in the Bible that will speak God's better story into those situations. The two disciples were a little lost, misguided, uh, but Jesus told of God's better story. That the Messiah was not a political liberator, rather he came to redeem Israel to bring them from death to life. To bring them from the bondage of death and sin into life. And that this Messiah had to suffer, his, suffer and then enter his glory. See, it doesn't matter who your friends are, what their story is, they'll be saying that will speak into their life. Now, Thomas Cramner was an English reformer and he started the Anglican Church. And he noticed that the teachings of the medieval church were heavy on judgment, God's wrath and guilt. And people who would walk into the churches felt that way. I mean, the architecture of the churches was to feel the bigness of God and the smallness of us and the stained glass windows and all the rest of it. That they had to work hard to earn their salvation. Cramner and the other reformers wanted people to know that Jesus was first and foremost a good shepherd who allured his lost sheep back to himself through his self-sacrificing love. He had grace towards his people. When he started his gospel presentation, he didn't start with God's wrath and judgment. That would come later in his gospel presentation. But first, he started with people's desiring for a wholeness. He started with this verse in Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Cramner saw the need for people to be spoken, uh, to speak into scripture of a comfort that was so different to what the church was saying. He said, are you tired? Are you feeling weary or burdened? Do you feel the weight of trying to do things? Well, Jesus says, 
come, come, I will give you rest. And is that not what people are longing for? Rest, the constant change of life, to find the dream house, to own the dream car, to work as hard as you can, work more hours than you're able to, to get the dream life. It all gets a little bit exhausting. Jesus says, come, I will give you rest. Maybe you know someone who's feeling like an outcast, broken or unfulfilled. Maybe they're feeling this way because of their sexual orientation or preference. Tell them how Jesus offers the shamed, outcast and broken Samaritan woman water, uh, living water at the well that will overflow into eternal life. If your friend is feeling like they've disappointed God one too many times, it feels as though they've let God down again. Tell them a story of how Jesus restored Peter after he disowned him three times. There are so many parts of the Bible that you can speak into your friends' lives about God's better story. It doesn't matter who your friends are, what they've done or what they've become. Jesus says there is always a place to call home. The Bible tells a better story that will connect with them. My second tip is to tell your story as a story. So say, tell your story as a story. Beautiful. In jargon terms, this is your testimony. How God has worked in your life. Every single person who is a Christian, who is a disciple of Jesus, has a story to share. At one point, you were dead in sin and now you've been made alive in Christ. And if that is not a story worth sharing, I don't know what is. There are many ways to write a testimony and Sam Chan in his book has a number of outlines for that. But when you tell your testimony, make sure God's the main character and you are not. You might have grown up in a Christian family like myself and think that you don't have a really cool testimony story, one that you were on the path of distraction, that everything was bad and then a big lightning bolt moment came and now you're on the path to glory. That's what I used to think, that I did not have a story to share. But I too have a story because God has radically changed my life. I was once dead, and now I'm alive. I now have a hope and a future. God works in all people, and that is a story worth sharing. And after you shared your testimony with your friends, or the person you're meeting up with to share the gospel, take them to the Bible. And this is my last tip. One-to-one Bible reading. Say one-to-one Bible reading. Beautiful. One-to-one Bible reading. Open the Bible with them. Take them to the Gospels. It may feel scary to go to a cafe with someone and open up a book like this and share with them. It does get easier after the first time you do it. And you might be thinking, well, what will people think? I'm in a cafe reading a Bible. Most people don't know what a Bible is, and so it's okay. (laughs) And you might be thinking, do I have all the answers? It doesn't matter. Am I equipped for this? It can be so easy to overthink it. But uh, after the first time, I promise it does get easier. You just got to do it. You don't have to have all the answers either. You don't have to be theologically trained because you're reading it together, asking, what do you think in this passage? What has Jesus done? Just ask simple questions as you both journey 
on reading and, in share, and sharing and encouraging each other. There are a number of super helpful resources for one-to-one -one reading. In Sam Cham's book that we're going through, there is one-to-one -one Bible reading where they open up uh, John's Gospel and there's some documents there. But if you get lost, open up a Gospel. I start with Mark, you can start with any Gospel that you want and read a part. Say, would you like to read a chapter with me and see what Jesus is all about and pray that God will reveal his son to both them and to you. Storytelling is a great way to share the gospel. There are so many entry points and it doesn't matter who your friends are or their circumstance, the Bible has a story about Jesus that will speak into them, that will connect with them. So point people to Jesus and how he has a better story for us. Why don't I pray? Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do have a better story. That you sent your Son into this world to redeem us from the bondage of sin and death. And that you brought Jesus back to life so that we might too have life. We pray that we, as we go out to share in evangelism, that you'll give us boldness in speech. And that we'll be able to tell your better story for our lives and for their lives too. So we pray for boldness and courage and that you'll be working powerfully through us. Amen.